Have you ever experienced a time when God was working out a whole lot of little details, but you had no idea that he was doing all this behind the scenes? Well, this week I talked with Jerry Dugan and he talks about how when he was overseas and ready to go into battle, his wife was back home asking God, pleading for his life. And at that time, Jerry didn't have a relationship with God, but he had this moment right before going into battle where he said, God, if you're real, you'd better replace me with someone better than me who will love my wife the way she needs to be loved and take care of my children as if they were his own. He shares how God showed up in the middle of some difficult times as a child, even though he didn't know who God was at that time. And he's just really open about his story. And so I really appreciate that. We also talk about goals and how on his podcast, Beyond the Rut, Jerry helps people get unstuck and to set goals and move forward. And so we'll share a resource that Jerry has for you that you can download if you're setting goals as well. This is episode number 124. You're listening to Life Repurposed, where you'll find practical biblical wisdom for everyday living, creative inspiration, and helpful resources. Grow your faith, improve your relationships, discover your purpose, and reach your goals with topics to encourage you to find hope amid the trashy stuff of life. Thanks for joining me today. I'm your host, Michelle Rayburn. Jerry Dugan is the host of Beyond the Rut, a show about helping you achieve your dreams without compromising your faith, family, or health, and live the life you dream living beyond the rut. Each episode brings inspirational stories and practical advice from those who have come before you. Jerry's own life growing up through divorce, his dad's attempted suicide, and Jerry serving in combat have built within him resilience and the perspective that life is just too short to live it stuck in a rut. Today, Jerry is a Christ follower, husband, and father living in Texas. Here's my interview with Jerry Dugan. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jerry. Michelle, thanks for having me on. I am excited. Yeah, so we know each other through this Christian Podcasters Association that we're part of. And I won't share all your secrets about what happens like with the cats and the snacks and everything. Oh, I kind of <laughs> let that I let that cat out of the bag already. Yeah. Um, but there was this discussion that happened, oh, I think it was a few weeks ago on there. And it was intriguing because we were talking about personality types in Enneagram. And you shared something about somebody who really annoyed you. And it turns out I have that person's Enneagram yep. profile. I'm a one on the Myers, uh, on the Enneagram. And on the Myers Briggs, I'm an INTJ. Uh huh. And I'm pretty sure you were like an ESFP or EFP. ENFP. ENFP. Yeah. So, oh yeah, my husband is an ESFP and he's an Enneagram 7, mm-hmm. which is like the, um, wait, is that what you are too? Okay, so yeah. that's the entertainer, right? I think so. I, I'm still learning Enneagrams, but uh, <laughs> yes, we're kind of like yeah. go with the flow, creative, keep the options open type of yeah. thing. So I thought maybe today that would be, I looked up, you know, like, how can you really annoy somebody who is an Enneagram 7? And then I'm like, no, I'm not going to go there. (laughs) (laughs) I think it was like having rules. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I guess if you get too rigid and structured. Right. Yeah. So the interesting thing is that uh, my husband and I balance each other out really well, even though we're the exact opposites of each other. Like I'm the total rule follower 
but I'm also a creative, so I'm not quite the type A rule follower. I'm like yeah. analytical and creative. And then my husband is like like total extrovert, always have to be <laughs> sharing a pun or something like that. So anyway, I appreciate the opposites and I appreciate your sense of humor. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I went to a marriage conference once uh, and the speaker had said, if both of you in the marriage are exactly the same, one of you is redundant. <laughs> I, I, I latched onto that. So every time the opposites between my wife and I come out, I'm like, hey, just remember, neither one of us is redundant right now. Especially <laughs> me. So. <laughs> yeah. So how long have you been married? Uh, 20 years in a couple of weeks, November 18th. Nice. And we're going to Walt Disney World to, oh, well, I guess when people listen to this, a couple months back, November 18th, <laughs> we celebrated yeah. our 20th in the happiest place on earth, uh, church. No, uh, Walt Disney World. Uh, so we're excited. It, yeah, 20 years. Yeah, congratulations. In our house, we call that a classic marriage. My husband and I have been married almost 32 years. Oh, wow. So opposites really can work together. Yeah. And a whole lot of forgiveness. <laughs> so that's just a little introduction for those of you who are listening to get to know Jerry a little bit. Jerry, I want you to tell me about growing up and some of the milestone mm. moments that you had in childhood. Oh, man. Well, I was born in a place called Fort Sill, Oklahoma, to an Army soldier. He was a military policeman. His name's Bruce. It still is Bruce. And uh, <laughs> then my mother is from Thailand. So biracial kid in a... A uh, very white part of America. <laughs> and uh, so in doing that, I mean, being raised by uh, a mom who knew, I guess, the Asian basically was your stereotypical tiger mom. You got to get great <laughs> grades in school, not just good grades. You got to be like the number one scorer on everything. Wow. And that's not even good enough. You have to have like a perfect score on everything. And we were just talking about opposites. My dad was the complete opposite. He's like, man. When I was in school, I perfected like forging my mom's signature to get out of class. <laughs> uh, the fact that he goes to class every day, that's amazing. And <laughs> now you're like pressuring him to get perfect scores. Like, let him make a mistake. And, and of course, my mom would just be like, well, that's just being a lazy American. And uh, <laughs> I'm exaggerating the way they spoke. But essentially, that was their, their parenting style, their outlook on uh, the world. So a lot of expectations on me being the oldest child. Um, I have one brother. He's two years younger. And yeah, it was just like every day you're going to school. You're sick. You're still going to school. Oh, your leg hurts going to school. <laughs> you know, like, it, all those it was perfect just this, attendance like, awards. Like, yeah. Oh, man, I got them all until like seventh grade, I think. I finally got sick. Uh, no, that was sixth grade. Sorry. But it, it was just uh, so there was that. Um, so just very strict for me, a little bit more lax for my brother. So there was some animosity there. And um, you know, he's still the favorite, whatever. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jimmy. I still love you though, bro. Uh, Jimmy and Jerry. That's cute. <laughs> yes. Uh, apparently our names came out of the books. My mom was reading to learn how to, to speak English. And so she liked the name Jerry. She wanted very American names for us. So, uh, Jerry and Jimmy, uh, she couldn't say Jerry though, because of just the accent, you know? Sure. Yeah. It came out sounding like jelly. So she just <laughs> called me by my middle name for pretty much most of my life, like the first 20 years or so. Uh, so I thought my name was Sam. I go to school and people are calling me Jerry. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that, that that's kind of growing up, you know, and being a military brat. I mean, we grew up in, uh, well, we lived in Japan, Germany, uh, different parts of California where my dad is from. And we visited places like Korea and Thailand. 
So seeing more than just one town growing up, I think really broadened my horizons and allowed me to be flexible in life, uh, to be curious about things around me. Uh, but at the same time, hard to experience when you have a very strict mom who wants you to study all day, all night and get great <laughs> grades. So <laughs> there's, there's that. So it was like that duality there. Like, oh, wow, I could see the world. No, I can't. I got to do homework. You don't have homework. You do in my house. Um, so that, that was that. Um, and then, of course, it took a turn. So when I was about 11 years old, my parents split up. Uh, my mom had found somebody else and left us. And I took my dad and to a tailspin. And uh, during that time, we saw my dad attempting suicide. And it's a very, very dark time. I mean, I was 11 years old. My brother was nine. And here we are trying to save my dad's life. And at the same time, we don't want to go live with my mom uh, because we just thought if she was willing to leave us so quickly now, I mean, who's to say she doesn't leave us when we're in her house. So uh, fortunately, my dad, you know, got some help. Uh, something had happened where he just couldn't hide it anymore. And uh, the army just came in and said, we're going to take care of you. We're going to take care of your kids. We're going to get you back together. Uh, so, yeah, after about two or three months of that. My uh, my brother lived in foster care during that time, and mm-hmm. and that exposed us to a whole new world as well. So up to this point, I mean, all I knew was a strict mom, a very easygoing dad. My brother and I fought a lot because of the the different ways we were being raised in, under the same roof. And here's this family that prays at every meal. They eat all their meals together, not on the couch, not where you feel like it. They're at the same table and they're sharing how their day went and they're being authentic about this. And this just weirded my brother and I out. We're like, what is going on here? And like they, they weren't okay with brothers hitting each other. And so when my brother and I were fighting, they, they didn't spank us. They didn't get mad at us. They, my mom, it wasn't there to yell at us. Uh, they talked to us calmly and I'm like, what is happening? I don't understand any of this. Um, they took us on vacation with them. They made us feel like part of their family. And then it was time for us to reunite with my dad. And, you know, we went back to struggling and, um, but that was there. That was, that was a seed planted. And, um, of course, when we come back to the States, the extended family is going through divorces left and right. Boom, 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 boom. And so cousins are having a hard time coping. Uncles having a hard time coping with their divorces. And somehow I get the brunt of that. And so now 11 years old, just survived what I thought was hell. No, you're going into another one. Bam. And yeah, just getting bullied by my own extended family. Um, and I just remember it coming to a head and my dad finally realizing what was happening and, and taking my side and saying, look, sorry, I take you to your grandparents' house every weekend where you're getting picked on. You don't have to go there anymore. Uh, and he turned to his own family and said, look, y'all are calling them all kinds of names like half breed, gook, chink, mm-hmm. you know, all, the, all these just horrible names. But that's my son. And you will respect that. You will love him for that. If you love me, that's what you will do. And uh, that was, I was about 14. And I remember wow. just kind of looking up and saying, so, you know, we're talking about life repurposed and I'm looking at my own extended family and, you know, the, the, the marriage is just ending no matter what. Uh, and uh, the cousins just thinking there's no hope. You know, the, the best thing they've got going for them is to get emancipated at 16 years old and live off of social security or welfare the rest of their lives, the sooner the better. And, you know, being exposed to families like the O'Neills, the, the foster family in Germany, 
um, being exposed to the homes of my friends in middle school. Uh, it just kind of helped me see that there's other stuff out there. You know, there's a different way to live. In fact, my whole life leading up to the parents' divorce, way different than the hell we're going through right now. So there's got to be something different. And, um, you know, on my show, I, I like to talk about the five Fs, uh, faith, family, fitness, finances, and the outlook on future possibility. And so that was kind of that first moment of me saying, wait, what is my future possibility if I accept what my extended family is embracing? Same thing they've got, and I don't want that. What if I embrace a different future possibility? And I just remember around Christmas time getting cards for all the family members I did like. And it, it was meant to be like an encouraging word. Hey, you know, wherever we go, security follows us. People expect us to not do well, you know, when we're in school and so on. My hope, my dream is that we change that direction. And that when people hear our last name, they think of hope. They think of safety and security and people they can count on and um, people they will be proud to know. And I gave that out to the, again, the cousins, the aunts and the uncles who <laughs> I actually did like. And uh, I, I just found out maybe about 10 years ago that some of my cousins held on to that. And wow. yeah, and uh, it, that made me cry too. It was just uh, tears of joy that, you know, I was doing it almost out of spite, almost mm -hmm. out of like drawn a line saying, I'm going that way. You can come with if you want, but I'm not waiting for you. I'm going. And uh, to, to see that have an impact on others years down the road just blows my mind. So yeah. that was growing up. Woohoo! Wow. <laughs> yeah, so two things come to mind when you share that. One, that's heavy stuff for an 11-year-old. Yeah. And two, sharing what you were sending out with Christmas cards is like almost beyond what I would think today's 14 year olds are thinking of doing about like thinking about making a difference like yeah i don't know like i had pretty mature sons who are now adults and i don't think they were thinking about those kinds of things so um you know how has that shaped you as an adult then having that heavy responsibility as an 11 year old and also thinking about changing the world already as a 14 year old yeah how do i want to word that <laughs> <laughs> it, it pretty much shaped everything i mean uh from that point um if it was something that would get me out of my comfort zone, I was going to give it a shot. If it was something new and unique to me, I was going to give it a go. Um, so, you know, high school, I take up playing football. Uh, you know, middle school, I took up learning how to play tuba. You know, just weird things like <laughs> you can't play tuba. Why? Because you're four foot ten. I'm like, all the more reason. Nobody will see that coming. And, and so shortest kid in the band playing the biggest instrument in the back of the room. Uh, and then same with football. Like, well. I mean, there was a cheerleader and I wanted to impress her. And that's why I signed up for freshman team football. And um, they asked me what position I wanted to play. I have no idea. Well, come be a lineman. So again, shortest <laughs> guy on the team playing the position that typically is played by guys four times your size when you're in ninth grade. Um, so just put myself in situations where I could beat the odds. Uh, and, you know, college was something on my horizon. You know, that if for anything to inspire other people in my family, this could be done. We yeah. can send a Dugan to college. And not only that, we can have a Dugan finish college and do something different with his or her life. And uh, it just, then I joined the army because I was broke. I didn't really get good enough grades to go to med school. So uh, <laughs> enter the army as a specialist because I have a college degree. And, and even there, just you know, day one, there was a betting. I found out about this at the end of basic training. Uh, there was a Deadpool. And if 
you know what a Deadpool is? It's where they bet on who's going to die and how. Oh, wow. Uh, turns out there was only one person in the Deadpool. That was me. And the bet was, when is he going to die and how? We'll be right back to the interview shortly. Do you have a book or a resource or a podcast or something that you're trying to get the word out on? I'm looking for sponsors for the Life Repurposed podcast. So if you would like to have a spot in the middle of the podcast episodes here, you can contact me about placing your ad read right here in the middle of a show. You'll find me at michellerayburn.com. Who put that betting pool together? Because I think that guy owes me a cut because I'm not dying. <laughs> and sure enough, I graduated and, and guys were inspired. Um, they started calling me like the mighty, mighty Dugan at the end, which um, you know, to this day, I'm like, wow, that, that kind of spotlight still weirds me out. But um, again, that impact that here's a guy we expected to not make it. He made it. And not only that, we're actually inspired by him. Um, my own family didn't think I was going to make it through basic training. And then they, they showed up to my graduation and they, well, they told me like, we didn't think we were going to make it. And then we got the invitation you were making. And then we find out you're the platoon guide. I'm like, yeah, why? And like the, the idea of failure wasn't even in my vocabulary at that point. I was like, um, there were days I felt like quitting. There were days I felt like, why don't I just go ahead and die? Uh, but in the end it was just like, no, yeah, the only way is forward and yeah, go get some new ground. And I wasn't even a Christian yet either. So this was just, me just being determined to go forward every time. And even to this day, you know, earning a master's degree, uh, still just progressing in my career, progressing in podcasting, uh, just doing a new thing, um, becoming a dad way back because <laughs> my youngest, uh, she's 18 and my oldest, he's 20, almost 21. Um, you know, having kids also added that, that need to keep going, to keep changing the trajectory of the Dugan name. And, uh, what I hadn't mentioned yet is somewhere in all of this, I learned about the Dugan name and the Dugan crest and the, du- mm. the Dugan motto. And that just, I added that to who I am. And the motto is by virtue and valor. And I was like, that just sounds cool. I feel like a knight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I started to learn more things about the Dugan family that if you go way back into Ireland, the Dugan name, I mean, it's got a different root name, but uh, it was a Celtic chieftain or an Irish chieftain. And they they led. They were leaders. They were royal. Uh, but then these guys called the Saxons showed up and kicked our butts and <laughs> all but annihilated us. So it was it was a good <laughs> run for a while. And then uh, it stayed in the nobility <laughs> arena but as knights. Um, but just learning that was like, wow, there is some history here to be proud of as a Dugan. And so that just inspired yeah. me even more. And I would share that with my extended family. Uh, then I also started to find out like the decline of the name really depended on where you were in the United States of America. So now that I'm in Texas, uh, in Corpus Christi, Texas, for that matter, there's a Dr. Dugan and the town loves him. There's a Dr. Dugan day. And if you go to the local <laughs> university, Texas A&M University, Corpus Christi, the wellness center has he and his wife's name on the building. So when I show up and they ask for my ID and it, they say, they see Dugan, they're like, oh yeah, come on in. And I'm like, why, why do they treat me like royalty? And they see the name on the building. I'm like, oh, they think I'm related to that guy. So, oh, they want money from me. Got it. <laughs> so it's just a different world. And, it, and then I start tracing it back to other Dugans 
going further east in the United States and they're, they're doctors, they're professors, they're teachers, they're anything but people collecting welfare. And I just start sharing that with my extended family. Like there, there's a whole different world of Dugans if you go east and if you just see what's possible and say, I want to try that too. And then you go for it and yeah, don't be afraid to fail. So that's, that's, I mean, that's just ever since. It sounded like a movie. It's like Rudy or something like that. Like do My football Dugan, team did Dugan, think of that. Think of me when that movie came out. Cause it came out around the time of my junior or senior year. And uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, because I'm, I'm a short guy. For those who don't know, which is all of you, uh, I'm four, five foot four. Uh, so I grew like six whole inches since I learned how to play the tuba. Uh, but yeah, that, that's it. Stopped at five foot four. Tell me a little bit about going into the military. I know that you served in Operation Iraqi Freedom mm-hmm. and you were overseas. What? Thank you so much for serving our country, first off. And I'd like to know how your life changed during that time. Oh, man. Uh, some for the better, some for the worst. So I, I think I mentioned earlier, like when I went through my undergrad years, uh, that the big win is that I graduated. Uh, I was a pre-med student. Uh, I had actually been recruited to be a tuba player at the University of the Pacific. <laughs> uh, and then I flipped the script and I said, no, I'm going to go pre-med. And the band director was like, well, will you still play tuba for me? Yeah, sure. So uh, four and a half years later, I get my four-year degree uh, and, and a 2.3 GPA. So I start looking at what does it take to get into med school? And, uh, and I just keep re- hearing over and over again, uh, more than a 2.3 GPA. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, shoot, I think I squandered my four and a half years. Uh, and so I started asking around, and I think Stanford University had shared some insights with me that they, they consider folks who don't have you know, a 4.0. Uh, but the things they look at are, are is your MCAT score through the roof? I'm like, okay, I got some studying to do. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, do you have real world experience? And I'm like, okay, good. Uh, what kind of real world experience? They're like, well, as a medical professional, like a nurse, um, radiology technician, anything that's exposed you into the medical field. I'm like, okay, great. So I got to go back to school and get one of these degrees? Yeah. <laughs> what if I used all my money <laughs> and I have no money for college? <laughs> Uh, they're like, well, can you find scholarships? And and so all that led me to, ah, the United States military will pay me to get trained, pay me, give me the experience I'm looking for, give me some certifications in the process. And after my enlistment, I'll have the experience. Hopefully I study. I'll be a doctor. Um, so (laughs) fast forward, I'm not a doctor. Uh, rewind back. (laughs) Uh, So that's why I dove into the, the army. And, and so I looked at all the branches and um, I didn't want to go air force because I didn't like the uniforms. It's weird enough. <laughs> I, I don't know. Looking back, I mean, everybody in the army is always jealous of everybody in the air force. You know, the food's better. The, the pay is better. <laughs> they, they treat each other better. And here I am not joining because I didn't like the blue uniform. Uh, <laughs> I didn't join the Marine Corps because they, they have to run a lot and fast. And I'm like, nope. Uh, that would and, stop uh, me. <laughs> and then I didn't join the Navy because I have this fear of drowning or being eaten by sharks. And I just watched this documentary about the USS Indianapolis. And so I'm like, that's a no-go. Uh, so Army it was. My dad was in the Army. I was familiar with the culture already. Uh, and they were the oldest branch. So they, you know, who's got history in providing trauma type of experiences? It's the army. So that's the route I went. Um, 
And the weird thing was, is I just kept getting picked up to be a leader. So while I was in basic training, the drill sergeants asked me to be the platoon guide. They didn't ask me. They told me. And then they'd fire me and they put me back in, fire me, put me back in. Uh, but essentially, out of the nine weeks of basic training, I was the platoon guide for about three, maybe four weeks. And that was with them rotating almost everybody through, 64 guys. Uh, I go on to AIT to learn to be a medic. And my plan is lay low. Don't stand out. Just learn how to be a medic. Be a medic. Day one in class, one of the instructors is walking up and down the aisles, sees me, taps on the desk and says, come to the back. Bring your battle buddy. So we go to the back of the classroom and my battle buddy's like, what did you do? We just got here. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I kept doing, I had to do a lot of push-ups in basic. I don't know why. Uh, and so I'm back there and then they asked me a few questions about, you know, how did I get my specialist rank, which was an E4 rank. And I came in that way and asked me, you know, where I went to college, what was my major, where did I go to basic training? And after all these questions, they kind of looked at each other and said, this is the one. Yeah. This is the one they were talking about. <laughs> all right. And now my battle buddy's really mad. Like, wow, whatever we did before, <laughs> it followed us here. Man, dang it. I hate you. Uh, he didn't say that, but it was in his eyes. And so they decide you're going to be our class sergeant. And your goal is, your job is to make sure everybody in your class graduates. And I'm like, oh. No pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my battle buddy, he's like, what happened to laying low? I'm like, I didn't say anything. I was just sitting there. You were right next to me. Like, I had nice to the front, just like the drill sergeants back in Fort Sills told us. And um, so anyway, yeah, I uh, forgot how long training was, but yeah, had to lead there, go to my first duty station in Germany. Uh, and as an E4, I'm getting tasked to, to lead smaller missions and be in charge of the day. And like, I know nothing. And so I, I guess all this to say, if there's one thing the army taught me was leadership. <laughs> so here I am at 23 years old out of college. And as, no matter how hard I try to lay low and just get some medical experience, I'm getting plucked up and plopped into leadership roles. Um, sometimes they're good experiences. A lot of times they were Dugan got yelled at a lot to take the fall for everybody else. And um, somewhere in there though, I met a, uh, this is when I came back from Kosovo. Uh, I met somebody I thought was very cute and she was another soldier in the platoon. Um, but then I found out that once she was in a relationship and she was pregnant. So I'm like, well, there goes that. Um, well, a couple months later, I find out from her that she's not in a relationship, but she is pregnant and we start dating and we become married. And 20 years later, here I am, not fired yet. <laughs> <Woo -hoo! laughs> uh, so 9-11 happened uh, while we were in Germany. Uh, we got married shortly after that. Uh, she got out of the Army. I stayed in. And around 2003, it's my last year in, and our unit gets orders to prepare to go to Kuwait. Hmm. So we go. And we get there, and we find out that there's a bit of an ultimatum given to Saddam Hussein. And he's told, hey, surrender to us or we're going to invade at a time of our own choosing. And we invade. So on the day of that invasion, we're preparing. Scud missiles are flying overhead. We're on the border. Get into my chemical suit. And up to this point, I'm not a Christian. I you know, had a couple of moments where I had a brush with God, 
said a prayer, did some Bible study, but overall I denied God up to this point. And I still did in this moment. Uh, and I remember just looking around and people scared. You can see it in their faces. They're scared. I'm scared. Uh, but for some reason I thought I'm not making it back. You know, I'm, I'm in the branch of the army that has the highest percentage of post or the highest per capita of posthumously awarded medals. So, uh, it just kind of hit home like that day. Like, wow, I'm in the field that we get medals, but we do, we get them after we die Mm -hmm. Uh, and we get them because of how we die. And this is not going to go well for me. And I remember saying, God, if you're real, you better replace me with somebody who's better than me. And, uh, you better replace me with somebody who's going to love my wife the way she deserves and lifts her up. Replace me with a father who's going to raise my kids as if they're his own and they don't know the difference. That's what you got to do. I didn't even say amen. I was just like, (laughs) call them what to do. Now, what I didn't know is that thousands of miles away in um, Texas, Corpus Christi, Texas, my wife had packed up our house in Georgia and moved back to her mom's in Texas. She's praying. And I mean, we weren't a church going couple. She wanted to be. And I found ways to resist every moment of the way, every step of the way. Uh, But yeah, she's making a deal. And she's saying, God, I promise you, if you bring him home, I will make sure he comes to church every weekend. (laughs) Uh, The rest is up to you. But I promise you, you bring him home in one piece. I'll make sure he goes to church. And, and I found that out later on. <laughs> so uh, the, the invasion happens. Uh, everything you hear about, like the Thunder Run 1, Thunder Run 2. Uh, my unit was part of the artillery support for that. Uh, we hunkered down in Baghdad. Uh, and by about July, they pulled my unit out because um, we just weren't geared for uh, peacekeeping operations. We were we were too too much of a razor's edge to fight war. That they're like, no, these guys, they can't police. <laughs> Get them out. So they pulled us out. They let us defuse in Kuwait for about a month before they brought us back to the States. And uh, it was around July. I, I got to meet my daughter for the first time. She was three months old. My son was about to turn two years old. And it's it's on that drive back to our home. Uh, my mom, my, my stepdad, my brother all came out to see me return home. Uh, but I'm driving back to the house with my wife separately from everybody else. And, you know, she's telling me about this deal that she made, you know, that while I was gone, she made a promise to God that if I came home safely in one piece, she'd make sure I go to church and I could just feel the, and hear the, the, the nervousness in her voice. Mm-hmm. And she was worried I was going to yell at her and just be mad. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't. And I just remember thinking nothing really just, you know, wow, she was so scared for me. She was so concerned for me that she made a deal with God. And so I just said something to her like, well, if, if you made a deal, we have to honor it. And, and I know in the back of my head was the Dugan motto by virtue and valor. And this was the virtue part. My wife made a deal. We got to honor it. And so there I was every Sunday in a church Looking for a reason to get out. Like, oh, hey, look, our daughter's crying and they just put our number up. I'll go. <laughs> and off I, I'd, I'd take off. And uh, my wife started to pick up on that. And she's like, hold on a sec. My turn. It's like, 
here you go. And she take the ticket and go. And I'm listening to the sermon. I'm like, wow, this is good. Man, I live out of here. This, this is, oh, she's with Emma. Okay. Got it. And, and so that was in Georgia. Um, I separate from the army. We go back to Corpus Christi, uh, fast forward a little bit. Um, so that was 2003 by 2005. We finally have a church home. Um, the church we're going to figured out how to keep Jerry from getting pulled out of service. And what they did, this is so cool. I mean, it's the power of serving uh, because you never know how you're going to impact somebody else. Um, so what the children's ministry at our church wound up doing was when they realized this girl cries because she has separate, separation anxiety from her parents, uh, but more specifically her dad. Uh, yeah, because she's a daddy's girl. And um, yeah, we're like, we're the exact person, but split up by about 20 something <laughs> years and totally different genders. So, but other than that, personality wise, we're almost identical. So there's a, there's a bond there that, um, my son and my wife don't have and, and vice versa. My son and my wife bond in a way that I can't. Um, but anyway, they figure this out at the church and they get one volunteer to immediately pass a background check. His one job is hold this girl, rock her. She's a baby. If you stop rocking, she cries. You got to rock her for an hour. And that was it. He was there, ready to go. Here's baby Emma in his arms. And he sits in a rocking chair and he rocks for the hour. Uh, before we come to pick her up, they take her out of his arms. They change her real quick, put her back in his arms, back to rocking. And this went on for months. Um, and it was just, it worked because they never had to call us out. And one day our pastor's wrapping up the service and he said, Hey, we're about to do our salvation prayer. And I just need to tell you, there's something on my heart to say. Uh, you've been shopping around for quite a bit. You've been dipping your toe in the water, but you already know what you're getting into. Now's the time to just jump right in, embrace God, embrace Jesus, stop dipping your toe. And the way he said it, stop dipping your toe. Mm-hmm. It was, it was almost like hearing a sergeant or a drill sergeant say, Suck it up, drive on, dive in. And I was like, what do I have to lose? And I received Jesus as my savior that day. And man, what a whirlwind ever since. <laughs> Just leap of faith after leap of faith. And it's it's whenever I try to get in my comfort zone and stay there, that's when things start to fall apart. And it's, you know, getting stuck in that rut and feeling that I'm off center of what I'm supposed to be doing. And it's when I really surrender to what is it God wants me to do? What is it I'm supposed to be doing in the moment, but also in the long run? And wow, that scares the heck out of me. And then going for it anyway. Um, it's, it's always been worth the journey. Always. What an amazing story of how God works all these little pieces behind the scenes in ways that we couldn't possibly orchestrate it in that way. And yeah. yet he has it all planned out. I think that's one of the biggest things in life is learning to just sit back and trust that God has a better plan than I could come up with, even though I think my plans are pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, nope, I have a different one for you. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that part of your story. Uh, You were transitioning really well into talking about being stuck in a rut. And for the listener out there, Jerry has a podcast called Beyond the Rut, I want to know, Jerry, like, why did, why did you start a podcast called Beyond the Rut? Did you get stuck in one or how did you, how'd you start that? 
the funny thing is, I was the unpaid hired help on that podcast on this podcast <laughs> when it started. Uh, I had a previous show called Family Time Q and A, and so you know, having become a Christian, uh, realizing. Uh, you know, going back to Romans, I forget the chapter and the verse, but I was a new creation in Christ, uh, reborn. I was my own replacement. And so I, I remember that prayer and I remembered, oh, shoot, I'm the husband my wife's supposed to have. Yep. And I am, I'm the guy who's supposed to raise my children as if he were my own. They were my own. Uh, and that goes for my stepson. I mean, he, for all intents and purposes, I hate it when I say stepson because to me, I've been there since before he was born mm-hmm. and uh, he is my son. He's my boy. Um, he's way taller than me too, which <laughs> oddly enough, one of my goals in life was to have children who were taller than me. They're both taller than me. My daughter <laughs> beats me by an inch. My son, he's way tall. So he, I, I almost hate him for it. No, I'm kidding. I don't hate him. <laughs> my boy. Uh, so anyway, where was I? I totally, man, squirrel. I got, a, I was doing so well, Michelle. <laughs> we got pretty far before <laughs> squirrel did. came into the picture we here. Did I was like. Yeah. So you talk a lot about goals and I know on your website, you have a page that talks about goals and you have a free resource that helps people with planning out their goals. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes. It's called Measure It to Make It. It's a download. But how did you get going with teaching about goals then? Are you like super goal oriented or is it kind of like what I do with my podcast? I kind of cover the topics that I need to work on myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How did you end up doing that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it turns, I didn't realize how, I guess, odd I am in the sense that I have written goals and I have a written life plan. Um, I don't read it every single day. Uh, I pull it out maybe once every six months, read through it, get some inspiration, and then I go back on the attack. Um, but Brandon kept pointing that out. He's like, hey, Jerry, you've got written goals. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Don't you? He's like, no. I'm like, huh, weird. So <laughs> uh, just I, I started to come across other studies where it's just such a small percentage of us who have written goals But the ones who do have written goals have a higher um, net worth, higher income, uh, healthier lifestyle, healthier family relationships, and so on. And and if all of the things are equal, the big differentiator is one of them has written it down plain on tablets. So it's it's not just something nebulous inside our heads, but something concrete and tangible out in front of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, my pastor that of the church where I got saved and, you know, I'd attended for about, Oh boy, 15 years to attend that church. We're, we're in a new town now. So having to find a new church is so mm, weird. Like, yeah. Wow, everybody sounds different. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the hyper voice I'm used to. Uh, but anyway, he's, he released a couple of books about goal setting and, and life planning. And I adopted that. And ever since doing that, I've seen my own career skyrocket. My income, um, Gosh, doing the math, it's four times larger now than it was 10 years ago. And you're not a doctor. I am so not a doctor. What did you end up becoming? Uh, well, I one, I finally listened to my wife. <laughs> and uh, I told her uh, this was during one of our sermons. I, I, I was thinking through, I was, I was a broke real estate agent, uh, but a very pig-headed one who didn't realize I needed to get out of real estate as an agent. But I was just thinking through 
how do I earn more income? And my pastor had said something that the resources you need to get you to the next level are already in your possession. And it dawned on me, I have the GI bill and I'm not using it. And I started doing the math. I'm like, well, there's this program, this program, the GI bill will bring in an extra $900 a month. That's exactly what we need to get through and get by. And so I turned to my wife, I'm like, I need to go back to school full time, but still work because we need that money. Uh, and so, cause I was working as an, a community educator for a battered women's shelter. So that was the $32,000 a year income supporting a family of four, trying to keep a house from getting foreclosed on. Mm. And the GI bill was going to help augment the income to keep the house. So that was my motivation. Uh, but I told her I was going for a master's in business administration and she had what I now know is the the Holy Spirit look on her face. Like it's it's her <laughs> words coming out. I've never heard that expression, the Holy Spirit look on her face. Yeah, it's just like, because uh, <laughs> she's usually very bubbly and like, okay, go for that. Or no, that's not a good idea. But it's like more, uh, there's more count- countenance, countenance. Like there's there's some discernment going on in that head <laughs> and in that heart. And what come out came out of her mouth was, I don't think that's what you need to pursue. And I was about to be upset in church. <laughs> like, <laughs> she know, what do you mean? No, I'm a businessman. I need to go get an MBA. And, but instead of saying that, I just asked her, well, what do you think I should go after? And she said something in education. I, you know, you're very good at teaching people stuff. And I was about to balk at that. And then I realized, wait a second, 2.3 GPA in college, but I'm tutoring people to get 3.5 and higher GPAs. And, and my professor saw that my faculty advisor saw that he actually encouraged me back then when I was 20 years old, switch majors, become an education major. There's no shame in it. And my pride said, no, <laughs> those who can't do teach. And, here, and <laughs> of course he, at that point he just said, like, I'm getting you out of here. Sign, go to class. And, uh, but I mean, he recognized it though. When I had to go take a job, the one thing I could get was as community educator for a battered women's shelter and teaching healthy relations, uh, re- healthy relationships to middle schoolers and high schoolers and even adults. Um, so my wife noticed that and she <laughs> said, you got to get something in education. So yeah, I picked up a master's degree in instructional design and educational technology that led into a job that doubled my income more than doubled my income. Had, had that job for, five and a half years. And then I got picked up for this current one, which almost doubled that income. Actually it, it will <laughs> in another <laughs> six months. And it's just all that because I took a leap of faith. I looked at the resources I had in front of me. Um, at some point I had written down on an index card. I just came across it the other day. Um, and that was, I wanted to earn a certain income by a certain date uh, in helping people live their best life. Something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but I want to be engaged in my kids' lives. I want to be a chair, uh, a loving husband. And it's like there were some parameters. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be at the sacrifice of my family. Right. Uh, God's going to be first. It was like all these things, all in a paragraph on an index card. And I kept that in my wallet for years. And when I came across that, that index card just the other day, unpacking boxes, it turns out just a couple thousand shy of that income. And... I'm in a job that encourages others to live their best life. I have a podcast about living your best life, an authentic <laughs> life filled with purpose and significance. And I'm pretty much plugged into the, the lives of my kids and my wife. And I'm like, wow. So again, written goal. 
I only look at it once every couple of years, but by writing it down, it became concrete for me, very specific. Mm -hmm. Uh, The path there was really convoluted, but I got there. A little late, but I got there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, maybe our timing, it's late, but in God's timing, it's right on time. Yes, yes. Very so much this so. episode is airing at the beginning of January, and I want to speak to the listener out there who's trying to figure out what to do with 2022. What advice do you have for somebody who's processing through goals and perhaps wants to make that giant list of New Year's resolutions? What do you want to say to that person about setting goals? Simon Sinek said, start with why. And mm-hmm. that's when things really changed for me. Why is it I wanted to earn a certain income? Why is it I wanted a certain type of job? Uh, once I understood my why, you know, I wanted the income, one, because I needed to provide for my family. And I wanted to show them that there was a different path in life, that they can have some freedom to earn what they want to earn, they need to earn, and not rely on other people. Uh, like not on the government, not on uh, an employer, that they're always employable. So that kind of thing. But it wasn't going to come out of sacrifice. So fatherhood and being a husband, very important. Being a Christ follower, very important. Uh, so know your why. You know, do you want to be a giver? Do you want to, I don't know, travel a lot? What's your why? <laughs> you know, At the end of the day, no matter how much money you've got, no matter what career you've got, what is your why? What's the impact you want to make on the world? Uh, what's that idea that just keeps pounding inside your heart, no matter how hard you shake it off? It's there. Um, so all that to say, start with your why. Why do you exist? And when you answer this, it's your why. You're not answering mm-hmm. somebody else. You're not showing off. And don't be ashamed of it. That's yours. And then from there, what are your strengths? Like, what do you have now that'll get you there? You know, what is it that... And the other thing is, what do you need to have to get there? So now you've identified that gap. So now you've got some goals to pursue. It's like... Now my goals are going to help me fill this gap so I have all the things I need to achieve this purpose. And I just work backwards. I mean, so like since 14, though, I had a preoccupation with death. (laughs) I mean, when you see your dad trying to kill himself at 11, Mm -hmm. by 14, you're like, okay, well, if I did go today, was my life worth it? And at that point, I was like, no, it's not. So how do I make it worth it? So and I think now thinking about that, I'm like, wow, that's not what most teenagers think. You know, when they yeah. realize, is my wor- life worth it right now? And the answer is no. They're like, well, then I end it now. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was just on my heart. Um, well, what will, what will make it worth it? And that started that journey for me. So just asking that one question, what would make it worth it? Um, you can ask yourself that now. Like, what would make your life worth living? And then go make These it are, This is an episode of Deep Thoughts with Jerry Dugan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You don't hear this in the, the uh, podcasting group, do you? It's just me snacking on popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that I could talk with you all evening because you have a ton of wisdom to share, but we've already talked longer than I usually do. So, oh, yeah. Um, that, and, and that's great. We only had one squirrel in there. So that was amazing. I know. Um, how can people find you and where can they get the resource that you have the measure it to make it download? Right. So my website is beyondtherut.com. Uh, the show is also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much everywhere you can download a podcast. It's there. Uh, but all the blog posts, 
the episodes. I also put it on beyondtherut.com. Now, the tool, Measure It to Make It, which will walk you through identifying your why from there, what's your God-given purpose, what are your values, your strengths, and so on, and then what's your 10-year goal, your five-year goal, and then annual goals, and then it breaks it down to daily habits. That tool is Measure It to Make It, and you can get that at beyondtherut.com slash goals. All right. I will link to that in the show notes, too, so people can find that. Awesome. As we wrap up, I want to thank you, Jerry, for joining me and for sharing a piece of your life and a piece of your heart and for also being brave and going out there and doing what God has called you to do. Thank you so much for being you and for being real. Awesome. Thank you, Michelle. You've been listening to Life Repurposed with Michelle Rayburn. Check out tips, resources, and inspiration at michellerayburn.com to get the show notes for this episode. Each week, I share links to everything mentioned in the episode, graphics you can share, and guest quotes. I also invite you to join the Life Repurposed Facebook community for weekly conversation with others on the journey of discovering the repurposed life. Before you go, which friend needs to hear this episode? Share a link with a note to invite them to listen. And thank you for listening too.